1: And now a selection of readings from the Gospel of John chapters 15 and 16. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was going with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Good morning, once again. Welcome to Good Shepherd New York. My name is Michael Rodzina. Today is Pentecost. It's the birthday of the church, so to speak. It's a day and it's a season where we remember how the Holy Spirit is at work in the world and in each of us as well. It's a day and a season to remember how God influenced and continues to influence people to embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. On this day, the earliest followers of Jesus experience something that transforms their life. You may know the story from the book of Acts. They are praying in a room. All of a the sudden, they experience the spirit of God in a different kind of way. They feel these mighty winds. They see tongues of fire resting upon their heads. A great crowd of Jewish pilgrims gathers in Jerusalem. And as the disciples talk about the good news of Christ, everyone hears them in their own native tongue it's a turning point from that time forward they'll find themselves saying things that they weren't willing or able to say before they'll find themselves doing things that they weren't willing or able to do before but now on the heels of this new experience of god's spirit they have a new energy they have this new courage new power they find a new receptivity as they communicate with other people and as they move outward as they consider their neighbor as they speak and act from the heart they discover a holy translation is taking place it's overcoming the cultural barriers that keep us apart and what is the difference maker in this story you see the truth that jesus has modeled for them and told them about for three years has fundamentally crossed that critical 18-inch abyss where so many good intentions go to die the abyss between the head and the heart Today's gospel story allows us to eavesdrop on the final conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples before he dies. It's kind of like a preparation, right? It's an encouragement, it's a warning as well. He doesn't want them to fall away. He doesn't want this healing and saving movement to fizzle with the first wave of adversity. And so he paints a rather stark picture of rejection that is just around the corner. He says, to his disciples, you can expect to be put out of the synagogues. He says to them that there will be coming a time when people will want to kill them and they will think it's a service to God. Of course, Jesus makes that critical caveat, nobody who kills in the name of God actually knows God. But it's not all doom and gloom. He says they can also expect help. And this is where we sort of lean in to hear the Pentecost wisdom of the story. He says, I'm going away, more apparent bad news, right? He's painting this dim picture and then he says he won't be there for it. But Jesus sees the circumstance with different eyes. What the disciples see as bad news, Jesus sees as ultimately good news. They just need a little bit of reorientation. They just need a little bit of help in order to see as Jesus sees. During the pandemic, I acquired what in retrospect is one of the most precious habits of my life, taking my two-year-old Gemma on a morning walk. It began out of necessity. I mean, remote learning with four kids in New York is not easy. And our little morning walk uh, sort of let the pressure out of our home a little bit as everyone was beginning their day. Now, it seems there's a theme to each season of these walks, whether it was teaching her about the buses and the fire trucks and the heavy equipment at construction sites around the city, or it was simply helping her understand and learn how to avoid the unholy trinity of New York animals, the rat, the pigeons, and the squirrels. The theme in this current season has been sharing. It first took place, it's taken place over three phases. First, there was an absolute disaster, right? Previous trips to the playground focused on the playground, uh, whether it was the slides or the kaleidoscopes or the swings or the climbing walls, but then it happened. Someone rolled up with a stroller in tow and a load of shiny toys in the undercarriage. The boundaries between mine and yours were virtually non-existent for her. So she rocks up to the playground, kind of like the mad Irishman from the movie Braveheart. I'm the most wanted man on my island, except I'm not on my island, of course. More's the pity. And then someone replies to him, your island? You mean Ireland? To which he responds with a mad gleam in his eye, yeah. It's mine. She made 10 kids cry that day, taking their toys, screaming in their face, MINE! And when they attempted to give it back, my favorite, putting up the Heisman level stiff arm when anyone tried to take something from her. It was a true disaster. I mean, I have four kids, so I've seen this before. It kind of made me laugh a little bit, but I had to hide my amusement from the many first time parents who had just seen their children's innocence ripped away by Gemma the Mad. So yes, the first phase is what I would call the disaster. But then there was the preparation. We began to go all in on the idea of sharing. We talked about it with her. We watched Daniel Tiger episodes about it where they sing a, a song that's probably well known if you have small children. You can take a turn and then you'll get it back. I can take a turn and then I'll get it back. You can save the request for me to sing with the Good Shepherd Collective for another time. She seemed skeptical though, and we had my kids sit down, we practiced in front of her, we took turns giving something, taking it back. Then there was the practice. We would walk to the park. On the way, I would begin to set her up and tell her that she could ask for toys by saying, please. And she repeated to me, please. I warned her that some people might not want to share the toy and that she might face some rejection, but that that's okay, we'll go and play with something else and she seemed ready to go. The first stroller of toys arrived, and I watched as Gemma struts up to the stroller, points at a fire truck, and demands, please. When the boy clutched the truck in his chest, Gemma yelled at the top of her lungs, no, mine, and then I had to intervene. I swooped her up, I walked her over, and I was whispering in her ear, the same thing I told her on the way there. But it was different, right? In this moment, she was angry, she was sad, she had tears. So I comforted her. I said, come here. She snuggled her head on my shoulder and I said, I know it's hard when people don't want to share, but we can play with something else. And then she would simply offer a adorable quivering, okay, and then I'd redirect her. After a while, this repeated cycle of requests and denials, screaming and crying, the comforting and the redirections, they became less and less intense. The process of sharing and rejection at the playground was beginning to feel, well, more normal. And one day, I overheard Gemma going through the cycle in her bedroom, only I knew that she was alone and her voice was a little muted, kind of like she was talking under her breath. I peeked my head in and there she was with two dolls rehearsing the now familiar tragedy with her bunny and her unicorn. The bunny would ask, please, and the unicorn would say, no, mine! The bunny would yell and cry and then she became the comforter, right? She would pull the bunny to her chest and rub her head and say, okay baby, okay. It was so cute. And I can honestly say that today she's a very good sharer for her age. It isn't always perfect, but now she brings her toys with her with the explicit purpose of bartering right? Leaning into the wisdom that empty-handed requests often fail at a New York City playground. But now I watch her face during rejection. She gets a little flustered, but immediately she redirects herself. She finds someone else or something else to play with. I see her get upset, upset, then I see her rehearsing the example that we modeled for her, that she has rehearsed with her own dolls. And I'm happy to say she's now a positive contributor at the playground well on her way to becoming a model global citizen. See, there comes a time when I won't be there. I won't be with her and her friends, and I feel that she's well on her way to be ready to manage that when the time arrives. I tell this story because as I listen to Jesus preparing his disciples for for his departure, and I hear him describe the kind of help that they and we can expect in our lives, I can't help but think of Gemma at the park. We face intermittent disasters in our lives. Often, they are critical thresholds of growth. We have a way of seeing or behaving that may have been perfectly appropriate for our maturity level. But a new season or a new situation demands more from us than we were prepared for. And we experience a kind of disaster. Jesus is prepping them for rejection here. They have seen this at several points in Jesus' life and they've probably shared in the pain of it at some point, but they had Jesus there to lead them. They had Jesus there to guide them, to model for them how to face it. If you think about it, even at different points, they themselves resist that rejection. Some disciples want to call down lightning from thunder on the culprits. Others seek seek to steer Jesus toward easier paths, ones that will mean less suffering and rejection, but Jesus keeps them pointed in the right direction but he knows he will not be with them much longer, but his spirit will be with them. And the spirit will guide and comfort and encourage, nudge them toward love and truth, no matter the cost. I think you could say, every time Gemma shares at the playground, it's evidence of our spirit, our imprint, our guidance at work in her life. I don't need to hover over her forever to see my influence and guidance take effect. At some point, I have to let go and I have to trust that my spirit will remain in her and have influence. You know, in organizational life, uh, in life cycle theory, there's a thing called the founder's trap. And this is where the one who founds the organization is either unable to make the necessary adjustments in leadership style or unwilling to pass on the baton in order for the org to grow to the next level of health and growth. See, the skills and the assets that made the founding possible and successful are not necessarily the same skills that will help it to the next phase. A founder has to either adapt or hand on the baton for someone to guide it into the future. Now, it can be a tough decision for many leaders, but the decision really is about health and about scale. Jesus knows that his departure is good news because they will no longer be codependent on him at every turn. They will be able to operate under his influence but in their own sphere in their own way in their own language this is the powerful message of pentecost jesus is not with us but we have his story we have his example and we have his spirit at work in his people to guide us to redirect us to comfort us to practice with us until we're able to live like he lives I wonder right now what disaster is fresh in your life right now what new set of circumstances is leaving you feeling ill-equipped inadequate needing guidance or comfort in need of new skills new virtues to meet the moment and to grow into the next season the good news of pentecost is that the holy spirit will be there you're not alone and you don't have to do this alone The Holy Spirit operates in a million ways, speaking in languages that we can understand through people who can get through to us. And God will come alongside us through God's Spirit to help us become more like Jesus in the midst of our disasters. We stand at the one-year anniversary of George, George Floyd's murder. Last summer was its own kind of disaster, a collective one. And when I think about where we were collectively versus where we are now, I see progress. It isn't near perfect. There is so much work to be done yet. But we have made genuine progress in our collective growth. I take the position that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's moving us as a people closer and closer to what Jesus called the kingdom of God, where all people are welcome at the table, where every person has access to God's love, and where everyone can share because they know that there's always enough. God's Spirit is guiding us forward into the future if we will open ourselves to its influence. And as we do, we find that we'll become witnesses of truth, that we'll become guides for others, that we will feel ourselves nudged and trained into new seasons of life, and we will become the comforters, empowered to give freely because we have received so beautifully. Amen. And now that we've reflected on our gospel on Pentecost Sunday, we say the Apostles' Creed. This is the earliest compression of Jesus' story that we have. It anchors us as we engage our world, the Bible, and each other. As we say it, we say it in solidarity with everyone who shares this journey, past and present, and we say it authentically with all of our faith and doubt. Would you join me in this? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, having declared our faith, we say our prayers. These are the prayers of the people.
0: Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977 or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.